0: Amen. Good morning, Freedom. Hey, light guys, I wonder if I could get the house lights up a little bit. There we go. see some faces. Good to see you all. Um, as Frank said, my name is Mark Knox. Um, for many years, early early decade, the first decade of the 2000s, we, we made this our church home. And I'll tell you this, uh, for my wife and myself, uh, this was... Um, this was just a, a special place for us. We needed a place of healing and, uh, and we found it here. So it's good to see all of you. Some of you I recognize. It's great that there are many of you that I don't recognize. That means God is continuing to work and to grow this, this uh, fellowship of believers here at Freedom. Amen? Amen. Well, as Frank said, um, you actually helped send me to Tanzania this year. So I want to talk a little bit about about that. Uh, two years ago, um, I called Frank and I said, hey, I'm, I'm planning to go to Tanzania summer of 2020. Um, would you be interested in helping support that? And, and without any hesitation, um, some money was sent. And then you know what happened, right? Uh, COVID happened and the trip was canceled and all of this. And I had, I had raised you know, all that support, and so everybody, the neat thing was, uh, I called Frank, I called other people, and I just said, okay, do you want me to send this money back, or what, and told him that the plan was eventually to go, because we really figured that the uh, the pandemic would not go on forever, and uh, he said, just keep it, you know, use it as you see fit, and, uh, and then as we came to, to this year with the plans, now, in, in full swing to go, um, I was talking to Frank, and, you know, and he said, well, do you need any more? And you know, actually, the, the, uh, the cost of the trip had gone up a little bit, as you can imagine, and so uh, some more money was sent. And that was great, and it just really helped me uh, with last-minute preparations, uh, things that I needed just to, to do the trip. Um, the reason why we went to Tanzania, and it was a group from my church, and the reason is that for, for a number of years, we've had a connection with several groups and several people in Tanzania. First of all, many of our, um, many of our people in our church sponsor children through Compassion International, and we are all located in, in two different centers in Tanzania, in the southern region uh, known as Matwara. And, and so my wife and I sponsor uh, a, a couple of children. Uh, one of them, uh, a young girl named uh, Fatuma, she has actually moved out of that region and she's many, many hours away. Um, so I didn't get a chance to visit uh, her center, but we went down to Matwara and visited two compassion centers. Additionally, several years ago, uh, the last time a group from our church went, uh, I didn't go, but my pastor, um, he, he must have preached like 20 times and he helped establish some church plants there. And one of the things about um, my church, my church is called Missio Dei, D-E-I, um, it's, it's Latin for mission of God and we are a church connected with the Acts 29 network. And one of the distinctives about Acts 29 and the church's uh, network within Acts 29 is that we are church planting churches. And, and so for instance, in Asheville where we are located, we have a vision to plant a church or to help plant a church in every county of the 828 area code, which is 22 counties. So there are currently now uh, four, including us, four churches uh, planted in the, um, in the 828 area um, that, that preach the gospel and have a gospel-centered ministry. And you know, you would think in North Carolina, it's part of the Bible Belt, there's a church on every corner. Why do we need to plant more churches? Well, it's because many of these churches don't preach the gospel. They preach something else or they preach moralism uh, that you, you just kind of, you, you kind of believe in Jesus sort of vaguely and, and then you just try to do your best. And that's, that's kind of what people are sort of burdened, burdened down by. And there's actually um, quite a few churches in these small mountain towns that, that I am just burdened with, that they have people who might think they are saved, but they've just been going to church. They've just been going to church their whole life. So we are about church planting. And so a number of years ago, uh, when, the, when the group went, uh, my pastor Brian... Uh, help some of the church planters there so churches have been planted um, in various regions around Tanzania so this was not a this year the the trip was not so much for us to go and do something it was to go and see it's like in in the book of Acts Paul and Barnabas say to one another hey Let's go back to these churches we visited and see how they're doing. And so that's really what our purpose was, to see how these various efforts um, uh, are going and to kind of observe what what God is doing. Uh, So I've got a couple of pictures. If you put that first one up. um, Oh, and I don't know how that got on there. Frank, I'm so sorry. I mean, that just slipped in. Um, I've learned in my theology that I could pray to God for the, the outcomes of football games. You know, like, Lord, please help them win. You know, something like that. But then I realized that, that God doesn't really care about who wins what football game. Except for Cleveland. He hates Cleveland. <laughs> so... <laughs> Okay, yeah, let's go to this picture. So um, this is me standing with Richard and Verena Okech, And I met Richard and Verena in Asheville back in 2018. Richard, in that previous uh, trip that that, um, our church took, that I was not part of, Richard was the translator for Brian. Very smart man, he speaks five different languages. Um, but he came to Asheville, and uh, at the time, I was uh, working for uh, Chick-fil-A uh, up there, and uh, one of the men in my church says, hey, you need to get with Richard, because he's all about building businesses. And, it, and not just building businesses to make people successful, it's in the name of Christ, right? And, and to, to lift people out of poverty, and so um, I sat down uh, with Richard and Verena and just talked about some of the ways that Chick-fil-A does things. And as you know, it's like the Lord's chicken, right, And, and except on Sunday, and, uh, and all of this. And so I was just sharing some of the things uh, that, that we do from a business standpoint, and it was a great three-hour conversation. Richard would furiously write on a pad and then he would slide it over to Verena and she would write a little while and then she would slide it back and we would just write things, just different things that, um, that Chick-fil-A does and, and holds to that just make the business run better according to biblical principles. So um, part of our trip was to go see Richard and Verena. And Richard runs a um, what, what they call a, an organization that's called the Tanzania Disciple Making Movements. And there, making disciples is different than, than we sometimes experience it here in the United States. Here in the United States, we we preach the gospel, we invite people to church, we tell them uh, the good news of Jesus Christ, people accept that, they're baptized, then we get them into uh, Bible studies and, and uh, care groups and things like that, and that's, that's kind of what we do. A disciple-making movement is more holistic than that. It approaches the whole life of the person. And so some of what Richard and his family and his organization do is the kind of activities that enrich people's lives so that they are then able to, to hear the gospel. So for instance, someone who's in extreme poverty and uh, is unable to, um, to really make ends meet and is living on $2 a day, uh, things like that, they, they would have a tough time even hearing the gospel because they're so concerned with just the base needs of life, okay? Does that make sense? And and so some of the things that Richard and his family do is something that they call farming God's way. So they train people to farm and be more productive in it. So for example, um, most people there, if they're going to farm a plot of land, they will take the brush that's there and they'll burn it. And what he and his organization have learned is, don't burn it, cut it down, mulch it, then you can plant and use the mulch to preserve the water, to pre- preserve the soil. And they found that their yield was doubling and they were getting twice as much food that they could, they, they could then sell. Uh, farming God's way, doing business, uh, entrepreneurial training. There's some aspects of, of entrepreneurship that we understand in the United States pretty, uh, pretty innately, and, and it's just foreign, a foreign concept to them. So I'll talk a little bit more about that later. One thing that Richard's doing right now um, in his little village is uh, he's, he's organizing uh, soccer teams so that they come together and they play the next village, and then, and then they're able to develop some relationships with these people. Uh, and then be able to speak the gospel into it. Um, he lives in a really nice house uh, that he built outside the city. It actually looks like a Florida house, um, of, of all things. You know, tile floor and all of that. Uh, no pool, though. Um, but, but he's also kind of built with sort of a retreat center there, and it's a working farm. So he's got beehives, and he's got... Uh, He's got goats and different, different things like this. And um, right down the road from him, I mean, just within a stone's throw, there's, a, there's another house there with two brothers living. And Richard gave them a plot of land uh, so that they could plant, um, let's see, they were planting pineapples and watermelons. Now these two brothers were Muslim. And through the relationships that they developed and through this process of learning to, to uh, plant and to farm God's way, these two Muslim brothers found Jesus Christ. And it's just, it's just stirring to think about. Uh, let's go to the next slide. Another part of, of what, what we saw was, this is a picture of a, of a small savings group. Now this is in a very, very poor uh, village. And uh, this savings group was just a group of people, mostly women, a, a couple of men, but they would come together and save money. And they basically, you can kind of see their little lockbox there and they've got the records and, and uh, they would bring their money in to save it because saving money is not part of their worldview. And so um, by saving money together, like a tiny little savings and loan, uh, they would then be able to loan each other money, give out small business loans uh, to, enable, uh, to enable themselves to do economic uh, work and do economic growth. So in the middle, middle of this picture, there's one uh, young woman here, and uh, her name escapes me right now, so I, I, can't, I can't remember it. but She had an idea of, she wanted to take some eggs. She wanted to walk to the the market each day, buy some eggs, bring them home, boil the eggs, and then sell the boiled eggs to her neighbors at a profit. And and so um, the only thing she lacked was $10 for the eggs, now, $10 doesn't sound like much, but it's a lot of money there. And so through this, uh, through this loan group, savings group, she was able to get a loan, get her business started, and very quickly, within a couple of, I think within three weeks or something like that, to pay back the loan. But in the process of getting this business started, she has doubled her daily income. And these are the kind of things, and, and I happened to see her um, the, the Sunday we were there. It was actually the next day after this picture was taken, where we went back to the village and we went to church, and um, she was part of the, I guess you would call it the praise team, but uh, you know about 10 or so young women up there singing and leading us in singing, and I didn't know her story at the time. But my eyes were drawn to her because she just radiated a joy um, that that you know sometimes you see somebody that radiates joy like that and you just you can't stop looking at them they're just uh, it's just amazing and so the joy of the Lord was definitely definitely upon her but um, this was the kind of thing that we um, that we did and uh, that we saw. A lot of things like this, the the disciple-making movements and the savings group and other uh, things of this nature were um, helped along by an organization called Flint Global. And I would invite you, uh, when you get home, to to look up Flint Global, all one word, flintglobal.org. And uh, we had the, the founder and CEO with us on our trip, and he was just able to explain a lot of what they do. Uh, Travis, who's, who's the leader of Flint Global, um, he was a missionary kid. Uh, he was born in Kenya. He spent time in Tanzania. Uh, for much of the time, he, he translated for us. He kind of helped us with that. Uh, but it's all about helping people. Uh, the way they say it is, Our vision is to see great humans break cycles of extreme poverty and dependence, creating flourishing families and communities that make the world a brighter place. Now, I know that doesn't say anything about Jesus Christ. But I also know Travis's heart, and I heard his words. So I actually, this week, I I texted him and I said, I said, I noticed on the Flint Global website, it doesn't talk a lot about uh, Jesus Christ. And I just wonder if you could explain that. And uh, he said, he said absolutely. He said, a lot of the places that we work, so they're in India, they're in Kenya, they're in Tanzania, they're in uh, Central America. Um, but he says, a lot of the places we work are hostile to Christianity. And if they... If they came out full bore, right in the face, hey, we're doing this for Jesus Christ, um, they would never get in. And so by, by offering economic growth and development, they get into these places. And then somewhat organically, as we saw in the case of the, the two brothers, the two Muslim brothers who came to Jesus, they're able to, to spread the gospel on, on a more organic basis. And it's really kind of neat to see. So if you're interested in, um, in helping Flint Global, um, it's just flintglobal.org. Um, you can look them up. Now, the high point of the trip, though, was meeting a child that we have sponsored. So in the center of the screen here is, is, uh, is me meeting Talik DeLucy. And I think he's about 10 years old right now and we've been sponsoring him for three to four years and we went to their center and saw all these kids um, and, and many of us who were on that trip had sponsored children that we, that we were able to meet and uh, Talik has been a picture on my refrigerator for three to four years along with uh, Fatuma and to be honest I don't think about them nearly as much as I should I don't pray for them as much as I should have. And, and I met him this day with his mom and his little brother, and um, I'll tell you what, my heart just melted. So I, I gave to the mother, I gave her pictures of my family and just kind of and my dog uh, that's something else. They, they really don't have pets. They don't know the idea of, you, know, having a dog or a cat for a pet, but I, I gave them a picture of Roscoe. And and all of that, and then I gave him some uh, a, a backpack full of some things with uh, like harmonicas. We were we were doing a harmonica duet there for a little while, throwing a frisbee, um, and so on, uh, just things like that. He couldn't speak a word of English, uh, but I did have a translator with me. And he said, at one point, he said, "Would you like to see their house?" Well, of course. So uh, let's go to the next slide. We went to their house. And actually in that village, this is a pretty decent house. Uh, some of the houses were literally mud with straw on the, on the roofs. Um, and others were more like concrete brick and things like that. But this was their house. Um, they brought me inside. They, um, they, they, uh, she showed me a picture of Talik's father. Um, he wasn't there. Um, I didn't get any any story on him. Uh, he might have been out working or or something. Um, but I felt like an honored guest. She said through the through the translator, "We we respect you." And and I just felt humbled that I could even have a a place to to impact someone in this in this way. So then they said would you like to see the house we're building? And so I said, well, of course. So we walked a little further, Uh, go to the next picture here. And um, they showed me this foundation that they've started. And I asked Talik, okay, which which room is yours? And he pointed to the one there on the front left. And I said, "Oh, front of the house. And actually, I guess that's not the front of the house. But anyway, They've got this house started, and she told me through the interpreter, this is what you're do- we're doing with the extra money you sent. Now we didn't send a lot of money. Maybe $50 at Christmas every year, or a different time, time of the year. And it was like, it floored me that they could take what little, what cost us so little, and make so much of it. And others in our group found the same thing where it was um, this chicken coop, these goats we bought with that extra money. And so we're, we're making a real difference in the lives of people. And in the meantime, uh, uh, Talik is getting an education. He's learning about Jesus Christ. Uh, they, they came, they were at the church the next day and uh, he he was part of a group of kids that sang and danced. At one point, I looked over beside me, and there's this this little old lady. She's all hunched over, and she's obviously got arthritis, and she's standing there, and she's clapping as best as she can, and I just thought, that's amazing. Turns out that's Talik's grandmother. Um, That was really cool. So like I said, the next day we were there at church, and after church... They called me up because Talik and his mom had gifts for me. So we'll go to the next slide. They gave me a rug, a giant, like, woven rug, a couple of bowls, and a live chicken. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm talking to my, uh, you know, to our guide there, and I'm like, what do I do with a live chicken? So, uh, actually, several of us were given live chickens and uh, we ended up just putting them in a, in a shoebox and uh, our guide took them. If we'd have been there a little bit longer, we would have been able to cook them and, and, and whatnot, but somehow I managed to get that giant rug into my suitcase and those bowls home without breaking. And, uh, but it was just something that they gave that because that's what they had. And, and that's really what God um, asks of all of us, is just to give what you have. Um, i I'll go to the one last slide there. This is just the, the last picture of, of Talik and his mom and his brother. And, you know, there's, there's just such a joy. There was at one point that um, we were getting ready to eat lunch, and so they, they set up a station for us to wash our hands. And Talik was one of the boys who was there helping. And I'm standing in line. I'm waiting to get up there. And, and one of Talik's friends just kind of elbows him. And, and then he kind of points to me like, hey, that's your guy. And uh, Talik, who's, who seems to be fairly shy, you know, just cracked a, grit, a, a big white smile, and uh, it was great. And Talik was a picture on my refrigerator. Now he has a place in my heart. So I would encourage you, uh, as a church, as individuals, as families, think about what you can do. It's really not all that costly. I don't represent... I don't officially represent Flint Global or Compassion International, but some of you may have been involved with with Compassion. It's a great organization. Their mission is to, to lift people out of poverty in Jesus' name, and they've been doing it for years. And almost all, if not all, the money that you give to them goes to children like Talik, goes to help sponsor them. So I would encourage you, um, you know, maybe get together with, your, with your, your groups, your Bible study groups, whatever, whatever it may be, a group of you and your friends and say, hey, can't we sponsor somebody? Because it, it's as, uh, as it's often said, you can't change the world, but you can change the world for one person. And I never miss the money that we send for Talik and, uh, and the girl that we sponsor. I'm only sorry I didn't get to meet her. She was like six hours away somewhere, you know, so we didn't get that chance. But I want to thank you, Freedom, uh, for, for helping me on this trip. Um, even though we didn't go to, to do anything, I did get a chance um, with Richard's group to talk a little bit about, um, having a purpose in business and things like that, which, uh, you know, from my experience with Chick-fil-A, um, but we heard it again and again that while we were there, we were a great encouragement to the believers there. So what's great is, is God's kingdom is advancing. We don't often see it here in the United States. Uh, because because there are churches on every corner, and we just think, okay, that's what it is. But God's kingdom is making advances in all parts of the world, and we got a chance to see some of that in in Tanzania. So thank you for send, uh, helping me to go, and uh, um, you know I appreciate it. I don't know that I'll go again because, man, you know, it was like 32 straight hours of flying, connecting, and, and all of that. It was, a, it was an ordeal. And you do that in 10 days twice. Um, it's like, I don't know if I have it in me to, to do that. <laughs> but I can still sponsor Talik. I can still write to Talik and, and connect with him. So thank you. All right, uh, you ready to get into God's Word here today? All right, let's, uh, let's do that. I invite you to open your Bibles, and you can take the pictures off to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, and we will be in uh, uh, verses 19 to 34. Um, I'll read the passage and then we'll pray and then we'll dive in. Uh, Verse 19. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes the man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. When we read the scripture, the reader says, this is the word of God, and the people respond, thanks be to God. So, this is the word of God. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it has been preserved for us throughout these years. I pray that today its doctrines will instruct us, its commands will will capture us, I pray, Lord, that uh, we will get out of this passage what you want us to, that we will not read into it things that we're not supposed to, but that we will handle it uh, in our minds correctly. Please guard our minds so that that what we learn today is is all of truth and all of you, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis, the land of Narnia is in darkness. It's in perpetual winter. There's not much hope. All the animals, all the creatures that live there live in fear. And then through the wardrobe come the four Pevensey children, and now the animals start to have a little bit of hope because there was a, an ancient prophecy that said that when two sons of, of Adam and two daughters of Eve come to Narnia, then winter will end and Christmas will come. This is the feeling of the nation Israel and the people at the, at the beginning of the first century. There was an anticipation. There had been a prophecy that a prophet would come, a voice crying in the wilderness that Elijah would come, and then the Messiah. So messianic fever was at a, was at a, a height. And what we have here in this passage is the testimony of John the Baptist as he is the forerunner of the Messiah of Jesus Christ. So, we see here in verse 19, this is the testimony of John. Now, that that refers to John the Baptist, not John the writer uh, of this this, uh, gospel, as I'm sure has already been told. Uh, John the apostle, the disciple who wrote this, this book, uh, is different from the John who's being described here. This is John the, Bapti- the Baptizer, or John the Baptist. So this is the testimony when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him. Now they ask him five questions. Now one thing to note, um, and you can kind of put a, put a mental pin in this as you continue to go through the book of John. But when John uses the word the Jews, he generally does not mean all the people. Instead, when he's talking about the mass of the people, he uses a different term. He talks about the multitudes or the multitude. And this was um, the people, the everyday people throughout Galilee and and the, the region where Jesus Uh, went. One commentator described the multitude this way. uh, The multitude are unsettled in conviction, inquisitive, despised by the Pharisees, inclined to listen to Jesus and to believe, moved by an impulse to make him a king, escorting him triumphantly into Jerusalem, and then not appearing in the narrative of the trial and crucifixion. So when you get to that end of that book, the multitude is not there. But the multitude, they're the ones being fed with the the loaves and the fishes. They're the ones that Jesus is teaching. They're the ones that, that come out to the well to meet him because they're so curious about who this Jesus is. But John, the writer, when he refers to the Jews... He's not referring to this mass of people. He's referring to the leaders of Judaism in opposition to Jesus. These Jews, these leaders are tenacious of of the expectation of a national Messiah. They've read the prophecies. They know Messiah is going to come. And, And by the way, when we use the term Messiah, Or the term Christ, it's really the same term. Okay, Messiah was the the Hebrew, well, it's an anglicization of the Hebrew word, um, just simply means anointed one, and then Christ is the Greek version of that. So when we say Jesus Christ, it's not like his last name, it's his title. It's Jesus Messiah, Jesus the anointed one, the, the one who's been anointed by God. So, these Jews, these leaders, are heavy with expectation of a national Messiah. They represent the narrow sectarian aspect of Judaism. They are the instigators and the leaders of the opposition to Jesus. And to them, his crucifixion is attributed. Not to all the people, just the leaders. So as you go through the, the Gospel of John in your study here, just bear that in mind as you go through. That generally speaking, when it talks about the Jews, it's referring to the leaders. Now there are five questions. The first one, uh, at the end of verse uh, 19, they say, Who are you? And in verse 20, he says, uh, it says, He confessed and did not deny, but confessed... I am not the Christ that's kind of an odd answer isn't it who are you I'm not the Christ I think John knew what they were asking by asking who are you they're implying are you claiming to be the Messiah because from time to time There were people that would rise up and they would claim to be somebody and they would lead a group of people and and lead them astray and so on. So a lot of messianic fervor going on at that time. Uh, It's kind of like with your kids and you put a a gift out under the Christmas tree and your child says, what's in the box? And you say, it's not an Xbox. (laughs) You know what they're asking. And so in the same way, John knows what you're asking. Are you the Messiah? No, I'm not the Messiah. Or in in the case here, we say, I'm not the Christ. Now, it indicates that he confessed, did not deny, but confessed. That language indicates that he's he's making a sure statement, a sure uh, confession. Now, verse 21, it goes on, their second question, and they asked him, well, what then? Are you Elijah? Now, this is going back to the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament that prophesies that Elijah must come before the day of the Lord. And they were thinking, okay, before the Lord comes, before the Messiah comes, Elijah must come. And so they're kind of wondering, is, is, is this John Elijah? Whether reincarnate or symbolically or what, I don't know what they were thinking, but um, they're, they're asking this question. And I mean, John had some of the characteristics of Elijah. He was, he was a rough man wearing rough clothes preaching repentance, doing all those things. And John says, I am not. Jesus said in Matthew, um, we won't have this on the screen, but the, the disciples asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? Jesus said, Elijah does come and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. He's referring to John the Baptist. John was that Elijah prophet coming before the the great day of the Lord. And Jesus goes on there to say, So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. So now their third question uh, comes to us in verse 21, um, the latter part. He said... I am not. I'm not Elijah. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Now here, we're going all the way back to the book of Deuteronomy. When Moses died, the record indicates that Moses, there was no greater prophet than Moses. You think about this, Moses delivered the law. He delivered the The giant book of rules and regulations and so on. He delivered the law. He was a great prophet. And in Deuteronomy, we find that um, this promise that the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. So now, by asking John, Are you the prophet? they're asking, Are you this promised prophet? They didn't get that what what that was talking about in Deuteronomy was not a human prophet, but the Messiah. He says no. Well then, uh, verse 22, they said to him, Who are you? you You can sense their frustration, right? Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, "I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord," as the prophet Isaiah said. Now this comes, this quotation comes from Isaiah 40. And it's at a time when the nation of Israel was in exile in Babylon. And this is a promise, part of a promise that God's going to bring the people back to Israel. Now, it has a greater fulfillment in Jesus Christ. But originally, it was like, make the path straight so that as you come back from Babylon, as you come to Jerusalem, that the roads are clear, that, that you have straight paths. And what that's referring to is a spirit of repentance. And that's what John was doing. He was preaching a message of repentance. Repentance and to do the acts that are in keeping with repentance. And that's how he was baptizing people. Now all four of these first questions speak to John's identity. But the fifth question speaks to his purpose. So after he says this, uh, verse 24, Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them. He says, I baptize with water, but among you stands one. You do not know even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. So he's pointing them not to himself, but to Jesus. He'd already answered the question, why are you baptizing? They just didn't hear it, so he had to kind of say it again, and it was that I'm calling people to repentance before the Messiah comes. John came preaching repentance and belief to prepare for the coming Messiah. In the same way, any preaching that preachers give, as long as it's uh, faithful to God's word, any preaching that you hear, faithful to the word of God, calls us to repentance, always does. It calls us to examine ourselves, to see where we need forgiveness, where we have sin in our lives, and to come to God, to come to Jesus, who can provide that forgiveness. Today, you are hearing it again. Every preacher who gives the gospel, there's an implied warning there as well. Like, if you don't repent, if you don't come to Jesus, then great destruction and great judgment will come upon you. I urge you today, as you you hear the preaching of God's word again, do not allow it to just sit and do nothing in your heart. All right, so that's the identity of the messenger. Now let's go to the the second part of this, uh, the message of the messenger. And we see this beginning in verse 26. And this happened the next day. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now he continues on and just simply says, This is who I was talking about. This is the one who will baptize with the Spirit. This is the one that is far superior to me, that I'm not even able to unlace his shoes. But I want to focus just simply on this Uh, This verse 26, 29, I'm sorry. Uh, The next day he saw Jesus coming and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is his message. And this is always the message. So we're going to see three things from this message real quickly. First, Jesus was a sacrifice. He was the Lamb of God. Now to Jews of that day, they would have understood what a lamb meant. Lambs were offered at various feasts um, in the the, uh, temple uh, throughout the year. Also daily, sacrifices of of lambs to kind of point the picture to, to the sacrifice that is needed to cover for our sins. All of that sacrificial system in the Old Testament was designed to point to Jesus Christ. Now, John says that here comes the Lamb of God, not a lamb. They weren't expecting a lamb. They were expecting a king. They were expecting a national deliverer. They were expecting someone to throw off the chains of the Romans and to give them the place that they thought they needed and that they thought that they were entitled to. But Jesus came as a lamb. He came as a sacrifice. And he was the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. If you study the book of Hebrews, you see this presented very clearly. That the blood of lambs and goats cannot possibly take away sin. They were only the shadow. They were only the forerunner. And Jesus came, the perfect sacrifice to take away sin and to deal with it once and for all. So Jesus was a sacrifice. Jesus was also a substitute. Now the idea of substitution is is very much a part of Old Testament you know, the Old Testament law. So for instance, one of the things that God uh, said was that your firstborn, your firstborn son shall belong to me. You shall, you shall give him to me. Now, they would read that as a sacrifice. But of course, human sacrifice was never part of God's plan, and so he put, he put into place, so you redeem your son... With a lamb, so the idea of substitution—a lamb being a substitute—was um, was very clear. But what wasn't clear is this: the people had to provide the lamb for themselves. They had to go to their flocks, find find a firstborn lamb, no blemish, no spot, and present that to redeem themselves and to redeem their their firstborn. In the case of Jesus Christ, God provided the Lamb. So not only does he take our sins as a substitute, but God, we didn't even have to provide the substitute. God provided it for us. Jesus is God, as you saw in the first part of the book of John. That you've seen quite clearly. He was sent by the Father, interestingly enough, to save us from God. It's God whom we fear, it's God's judgment that we stand stand, um, deserving to receive. And Jesus came to save us from God. So he was a substitute. He was a sacrifice, he was a substitute, and then finally, he was a satisfaction. He fully paid the price. John says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, you can't take away the sin of the world unless the sacrifice is satisfactory. He fully paid the price to take away sin. He satisfied as as Jesus hung there on the cross Uh, Dying in our place, the the just for the unjust, he received in himself the sin that was ours. He received the wrath of God poured out upon him that, that satisfied the wrath of God. And thus he was a satisfaction. This is the heart of the gospel. It's not just that God looks at us and we, we pray and we, we ask for forgiveness and he says, okay, I'll just forgive you. God can't do that. There's, there's unrighteousness. There's sin in us. And, and that sin needs to be dealt with. It cannot enter God's presence. And so, as Paul says, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin for us so that we could be the righteousness of God. So it was Jesus' righteousness. Jesus lived his entire life perfectly upholding the law. He had the righteousness that we don't have. And his righteousness is credited to our account. It's like, oh wow, I didn't know I had this this balance in my account. It's all righteous. I was all, all in the negative. Now I'm in the positive because of the righteousness of Christ. Jesus is more than just the key to your best life now. He's not the way for you to achieve your dreams and your potential. He's not the best high to get you through the night because these are not your problem. Your problem is your sin. And Jesus is the answer to your sin. So today, you hear the invitation. Come to Jesus. Believe on him, as it said in in chapter 1, verse 12. For as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe on his name. We come to Christ with the empty hands of faith, and we say, God, I have nothing but my own sin. I put my trust in you alone. And if you haven't done that, I invite you today, right where you sit, just to submit to his lordship. Just say, yes, Jesus, I want you. I need you. Now, I know that most of you Most of you likely are already believers in Christ. So is there a word here for you? Yes, there is. And that is this. This same gospel is the best news you will ever hear all day today. Because here we are, believers in Christ. We've been forgiven. We've we've trusted in Jesus Christ. We are now children of God. But are we perfect? No. We still sin. And when we sin, when we get weighed down with our sins and our guilt and and we start to feel like, oh man, I just don't deserve. You're right, you don't. That's the point. That's the gospel. Remind yourself in those times that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away sin. And he has taken it away. If you are in Christ, there's no sin that he's still like holding on to. That actually fuels our life. If I feel like I've got to perform in order to... in, in, in order to have God love me or, or to have the blessings of God, I've got to perform. I'm right back into works righteousness. But if I understand and I tell myself and remind myself every day that for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is now no condemnation. Romans 8, 1. That if we have having been justified by faith, we have peace with God, Romans 5, 1, that there's nothing I can do. It's as, as someone said, there's nothing you can do to make Christ, to make God love you more. And there's nothing you'll do that'll make God love you less. So believers, rest in that. Remind yourself of that. Preach that to yourself every day. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, let him take your sin away. If you are a believer in Christ, remind yourself he's taken it away, that you stand in Christ, in his grace. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this group of of, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray, Lord, that you will Um, take these words, my words, no matter how feeble they are, I pray that you will cause them to bear fruit. Cause them to have the result that you want in their lives, in our lives. Help us now as we come back to you, sing, worship, celebrate the gospel. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.